If you're trying to prevent pregnancy with breastfeeding and that's your only form of birth control, I highly suggest that you learn how to track your cycles because that is just such a wonderful gift to have in your toolbox. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hi, Maria. Hey, Shelly. How was your Halloween? Uh, it was good, actually. We had a lot of fun. This was her first year that she wanted to go trick-or-treating with her friends. So that was a new one. That's always a heartbreaker. You're like, really? You're too cool to have me tag along? No, I did tag along. Like it was me oh, okay. and some other moms. Usually what we do is we go to like our friend's house's neighborhood or her grandmother's neighborhood or something like that. And I always present the option to her every year. Like, do you want to go trick-or-treating with your friends or do you want to go here or there? And this year she was like, ah, oh, it's a hard decision, but I think I want to go trick-or-treating with my friends this year. I was like, okay, let's, let's go do it. I dressed up and everything you should have seen. I had a, a whole getup. What were you? Just a fancy witch. But like I had like this intense makeup on. I had these like the jewel stick-ons that you can do. Mm-hmm. at a corset. It was good time. It's cold. <laughs> I was inside. Oh, my kids are too old <laughs> and too cool to go trick-or-treating with their mom. So we stayed home, just John and I. We watched, oh, I saw Gremlins for the first time. Ever. Of course you did. <laughs> that movie is messed up. It's a silly it is messed up. I feel like if it was released today, wouldn't it fly? Like, if anyone wants to see that movie, don't let me spoil it for you, but spoiler ahead. In the midst of the town's people getting attacked by these gremlins and, you know, dying, mm. this girl <laughs> decides to tell the story of why she hates Christmas <laughs> and totally trauma dump all over the situation. But I never, I never saw it coming that the dad was in the chimney. <laughs> I never saw that coming and that traumatized me. And I was like, this movie is messed up. (laughs) It's 80s horror. So like what you have to lower your expectations and expect there to be a lot of like, what? It was a lot of, yeah. Is this a comedy or is this a horror? Is this a Christmas movie? It's it's terrible. Classic, classic drama. This week we are speaking with Trisha Zerung. And she is a nurse practitioner and a fertility consultant, and she's going to talk to us about trying to conceive while breastfeeding. But before we do that, let's go to our question of the week. This week's question was submitted through Instagram. The question is, my six-month-old baby likes to sleep with their legs up. Is it okay to put a small pillow under their legs? Um. Yeah, I don't see why not, but um, it wouldn't technically be safe sleep guidelines. Yeah, I like. I'm trying to think. Of, like at six months, they're pretty solidly able to move themselves around a crib. But yeah, you're not really supposed to still be having a bed. Uh, and like, uh, up in what way do they just like cock their knees up, or do they have like their feet in the air? Right, and that's kind of an interesting 
pose. <laughs> I wonder if there's some tension in the body. Yeah, especially is- like if they have their feet in the right. air versus just like their knees cocked up. Yeah. So I wonder if if you're able to having your baby assessed by a pediatric chiropractor or some other form of body worker. Yeah. I would say if their feet are up in the air or something like that, there's probably some stuff going on in their, their hips and their sacrum. Mm-hmm. And we are not body workers and we are not medical professionals, but as moms. <laughs> as moms. Just saying. <laughs> and just, you know, people that have seen all of these babies many, many times. Mm-hmm. You know, just some anecdotal experience. But funny enough, both my husband and my daughter often put their knees up in the middle of the night. Like they're dead asleep with their knees up. That's weird. Maybe they had some tightness. <laughs> I, oh, I'm sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that was kind of a funny, like a quirk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, listen, if I showed you pictures of what my six-month-old is sleeping in. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you're definitely not supposed to be putting anything in a crib with an infant. I mean, if it's if it's something that is seriously impacting your baby's sleep, if they don't have their legs up, I would definitely have that addressed by the pediatrician. And then sure. while you're addressing it, talk to the pediatrician about possibly doing something like that because, yeah, it would technically be against safe sleep guidelines, but you do need to sleep. My only other thought is, before I let this go, is are they having trouble sleeping? Right. If they're not having trouble sleeping and they just like to position their feet or their legs in a certain way, then like, I don't, why rock the boat? I leave it the way it is. Yeah, good point. Maria, I came across this article that I wanted to share with you. And it talks about how these doctors in Spain have found a way to use breast milk as an early diagnostic tool for breast cancer. Did you see this? No, I feel like it sounds familiar, but no, I don't think I've actually read that. So what actually happened is there was a breast cancer patient and this patient had breastfed her second daughter until shortly before her breast cancer diagnosis. And she brought a frozen sample of her breast milk to the scientists, the researchers, and they analyzed the sample for markers for breast cancer and they found some. They found DNA with the same mutation as the patient's tumor, even though the breast milk had been frozen for over a year before the cancer diagnosis, which means she had that tumor for over a year before she got diagnosed and didn't know it, but it was in her breast milk. Interesting. The, The DNA markers. DNA markers, yeah. So now they're saying that, you know, this can be turned into a diagnostic tool. If you're at high risk of breast cancer and you're breastfeeding, you can get your breast milk screened, I guess, for any cancer markers. Definitely need more research. Yeah, it would be like, I think a one-off would be really hard to make a whole scientific point out of, but I think that would definitely be worth. Yeah, they followed it up with a small study where they found it was 15 15 people who had their breast milk and 13 out of the 15 breast milk samples, they did find the can. They were able to repeat it with more people, but still not a big sample. Interesting. You have to look at that. Kind of cool though. It's kind of cool. Next up, we'll be speaking with Dr. Zira. 
When I work with families, a lot of times they have questions about breastfeeding and fertility, birth control, and then trying to conceive while still breastfeeding. And to answer all those questions today, we have Dr. Trisha joining us. Dr. Trisha is a nurse practitioner and a fertility consultant helping busy couples organize their fertility to fast track their path to parenthood. And I'm so excited to have her on here today to talk all about trying to conceive while breastfeeding. Hey, Dr. Trisha, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good. I am so excited that you're here to talk about this because you know, trying to conceive while breastfeeding can be such a tricky topic and a lot of parents have questions about it. And I think it can be really confusing because they are getting told different things by different people or different providers. And I'm really happy that you are here to clear things up for everybody. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to be here. I know that it's such a topic that's not really discussed much, um, especially as you're still on that breastfeeding journey. And it, it depends where you're at on that journey, whether you're exclusively breastfeeding or it's a complementary um, breastfeeding at that point. So there's so many different variables. And a lot of times you go to your practitioner and they're just like, I don't know, or yeah. I don't know, just try and see what happens or, you know, the generic, mm-hmm. like something will happen. I don't know. So happy to provide some clarity around that. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this specialty? Yeah, so I am a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner and now a fertility consultant. I run my own practice now virtually, seeing clients after I experienced my own struggles with my own fertility. I experienced recurrent miscarriage. And when I experienced that, I experienced the loneliness and the hardships that I went through during that. and. I just found that there was a huge gap in the fertility world in the care that women were receiving and how to really be on the forefront of figuring out what was going on with their body and how to best naturally improve our fertility. So that's really where all of this stemmed from for me. So it's been a journey and I absolutely love what I do. That's amazing. And I can tell by the way, your face is lighting up how passionate you are (laughs) about this topic. And that's, that's great. A lot of people that I work with are breastfeeding their baby or typically their older child, older baby or toddler. And they have a lot of questions about trying to get pregnant again while they're breastfeeding. Can you briefly explain the relationship between breastfeeding and fertility? Like how does breastfeeding affect a person's ability to conceive? Right. So I'll preface it with saying that everybody's body is different and there's different thresholds of when someone's cycle will rebegin when breastfeeding. But the science part of it is that when you are breastfeeding, you have a hormone level that's elevated called prolactin. And what that ends up doing, it helps supply the milk, but it also suppresses the gonadotropin releasing hormone, which prevents a lot of our other hormones necessary for ovulation to release. So it prevents those usually from releasing, which is why Many people will say breastfeeding is a good method of birth control. Not for everybody. I think the statistics say about 22% of women get their period back regardless in the first six months. But for many of us, myself included, it was great birth control for me. So when women are breastfeeding, the ovulation is going to happen first before you actually notice that your period does come back. So a lot of people don't actually realize that they'll maybe even accidentally get pregnant and be like, but I never got my cycle back. 
Well, the ovulation happens first and the period is just like the end thing that happens when you, uh, after you ovulate. So you can get pregnant really, you know, even by surprise. So if you're using breastfeeding as a method of birth control, be aware of that. But if you are trying to actively conceive while you are breastfeeding, but you do not have your cycle back yet, there are some things that you can kind of do to help you get your cycle back without giving up breastfeeding. But I think there's also some things that you need to know there as well going into that. So if you're looking to get your cycle back while you're breastfeeding, you can decrease the amount of either night feedings or day feedings. You can limit the amount of uh, comfort nursing, which none of us, I never wanted to do, but you can do that um, and shorten the feeding. So usually around like if you can do like 65 minutes total of nursing um, or there or less, it's a lot of times the cycle will tend to start to come back. That prolactin will start to drop a little bit. Um, but everybody's supply and demand is different too. So decreasing feedings may not be an option if, you know, they're decreasing feedings and then they drop in supply. Um, also the other option would be to start if your baby is like around that six month mark, you can start introducing, uh, solid foods or, you know, baby led weaning or just some complementary foods. So that not necessarily all of their nutrition is coming from the breastfeeding. Yeah, I love that you preface that with like everybody's different, right? Because some some moms or parents that I'm working with, within two or three months of birth, they, they start to ovulate and they get their period back where you have other parents like me, it was like a year or more into breastfeeding that I would finally start to ovulate again. And I remember taking like an environment and nature class in college and there was like this entire section on breastfeeding and it was more focused about how breastfeeding is good for the environment. But one of the things that they talked about how it is a form of birth control and naturally spaces pregnancies out, not only to make sure that you're able to breastfeed the, the current baby that you have, but also to give your body a break too. And I do know, so I guess this is like a little sidestep. Because we, you were talking about how some people use breastfeeding as a form of birth control. Mm-hmm. And when parents ask me about that, I always make it very clear, like, yes, it can be effective, but you have to follow like these very specific rules. And I feel like you kind of touched on that on reverse when you were like 65 minutes. Um, and that was a day, right? Is what you... Yeah. 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 Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how... How is birth control? Uh, how is breastfeeding a form of birth control, and what guidelines need to be in place in order to protect you from getting pregnant? Because I think that will help us understand if those guidelines are in place, then our fertility come back. And so these are things that you can do, like you said, to yes. bring fertility back. So if you're trying to prevent pregnancy with with breastfeeding, and that's your form of only form of birth control, I highly suggest that you learn how to track your cycles. Um, because that is just such a wonderful gift to have in your toolbox. Um, because the first thing you're going to notice if your cycle is starting to try to come back is you're going to start to notice that cervical fluid coming back again. That's going to be our signs of ovulation impending. So if you start seeing more cervical fluid, 
definitely use protection because that's a possibility that your cycle might be coming back. If you cutting are cutting back on feedings, um, just be mentally aware that that is a possibility. If your baby starts sleeping through the night and you've been feeding through the night and all of a sudden now your baby's doing consistent nighttime sleep, probably watch for your cycle to return. Mm-hmm. And just kind of being aware of those signs and symptoms um, of ovulation, um, mm-hmm. tracking your temperature, of course, which that's, you know, your temperature will rise after you ovulate. So that might just be a little bit too late in the game. But it's always especially that's an awesome tool if you are wanting to, to get pregnant and still breastfeeding, you can use the temperature tracking and your fertile fertility signs to be able to tell if you are going to ovulate or not and when to time intercourse if you are trying. So you can use it for both sides of the coin. Um, and and it's just uh, really just paying attention to what your body is trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Great. And I know a lot of research has shown that it's only effective if the baby is under six months, right? Probably because what happens around six months, you start to introduce solid foods. And yeah. like you said, if, if, you, if breast milk is not the only form of nutrition for your baby, that can bring your cycle back. And also pacifier use, correct? Is what I've read that if your baby's <laughs> using a pacifier, it's not going to be as effective or as reliable if you're looking at it in terms of birth control. Yeah, I think I find that the majority, like a lot of moms who feed on demand are the ones that cycle kind of stays away longer because they're not only doing the actual feedings, but they're also doing a lot of comfort nursing in between there. So it's a Mm -hmm. lot more stimulation. And while science isn't completely clear on whether the nipple stimulation has an effect on the gonadotropin releasing hormone, they think that it does. And so between that elevated prolactin, since that does, you know, we know nipple stimulation is what produces the milk. So then the prolactin goes up and then the gonadotropin releasing hormone is suppressed again. And so all of the lengthy like nursing sessions like that really decrease the chances of ovulation. Mm -hmm. And it largely depends on, it sounds like the age of the baby too, because if you have a younger baby, you're probably not breastfeeding just 65 minutes a day. (laughs) You're doing a lot more than that. It's like a full-time job. But if you have a baby that's like closer to a year or even over a year, that might be relatively easy to cut it down, especially if you're just comfort nursing at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a good, a good reason to try to help wean your baby at nighttime. I'm one of those people who fed their baby all night long till like 13 months. And then I'm like, okay, enough's enough. Like he does, he's not hungry anymore. <laughs> okay. But I, you know, that's a good motivation to be like, okay, like maybe I want to get pregnant now. So now I'm just mm-hmm. going to like, like a little tough love here. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, there's gentle ways of doing that and weaning down on the feedings. And again, one way to do that is to really start adding some complimentary foods to maybe a little bedtime snack just to fill mm-hmm. the belly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you are trying to conceive pretty early after in the postpartum period, being aware that if you do get pregnant, you are most likely going to have to use formula because of the changes that happens in the breast milk during the, the second pregnancy. Yeah. I personally experienced where I had been like feeding my oldest son and I got pregnant. I didn't have my cycle back. I wasn't really actually trying to get pregnant. We weren't not, Mm -hmm. um, we were just kind of like, it's okay if it happens. And so, um, my supply like was gone and he, well, he really just seemed turned off to it. And I didn't know why, because I didn't know that I was pregnant. 
And unfortunately, that pregnancy ended in loss. But after that, my son was just like, he was over the breast milk. He was like, oh, something funky is going on with this. He wasn't into it anymore. Um, but there's also, <clears throat> there is also research that does some, um, it's not a big study and it was a newer one in 2019. And there definitely still needs to be a lot more research done in this area. But um, it was an interesting study that showed that moms who were breastfeeding while pregnant did have a, an increased risk for miscarriage. And so that's just something to be aware of. And it's not meant to scare anybody and scare anybody from um, nursing their their child while they or after they become pregnant. But it is something to be aware of just from a nutritional standpoint. Mm-hmm. If you're nursing a baby or a, you know, a toddler or whatever, and you're also pregnant, your body really needs some TLC. Your body needs all the healthy nutrients that it can get. Um, and you really need to um, work just to make sure you're eating enough and fueling your body, especially in a culture where we're like, it's always like eat less, work out more, eat less, work out more, um, trying to lose that baby weight and bounce back, like all of that, like the pressure is really on. So that is not the time to be trying to lose any weight. It's definitely the time to be really giving your body the love that it needs. Um, and, and that was evident in the research too, that, you know, it was more, um, younger, like teenage generation, poor communities that were experiencing that. And that very well could have been a connection with just the, um, lack of food resources there Mm -hmm. too. Do you know in the research, if they indicated what the increased risk was? It was more than double. More than double. Interesting. It was 14% and then 35% in women who were, so the control group was for a 14% risk of miscarriage and the um, breastfeeding with pregnancy group was 35%. And did they account for how long the previous, how how much time had passed since the previous pregnancy? Because I know that can, if you're getting pregnant back to back, that's really hard on the body too. And that might alone might cause a loss versus the... I'm sure it is not just like one factor, right? <laughs> like you There's pointed out so much. Yeah. 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 You can't like point a finger at one thing and that, and that, and I like how you said, like, don't let this deter you from breastfeeding during pregnancy, but be aware that you need to get that nutrition in because it sounds like this is like a multi-factorial thing. Yes, definitely. And, you know, as we know, like loss can happen at any time and it's never, your fall, there's just so many factors at play, you know, egg quality and things like that. The other thing though, with when you are breastfeeding, that luteal phase can be a little bit shorter. And so we know if the luteal phase tends to be a little bit shorter because of that competition with the prolactin and the progesterone, um, we know that that doesn't always give that full amount of time for implantation either. So those are just some things to like be aware of. But when you sub know how to support your body and naturally support your progesterone levels and things like that. You know, you're more empowered in that situation and you're going into it with like the knowledge that you need. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. has That was. I also want to go back to that number 65 minutes because it is very specific. So do you know how the research has like narrowed it down to 65 minutes? I am, you know what, I can't remember off the top of my head how they got that from that study. Um, I'd have to go back and look exactly where they they got that number. But my guess is maybe they just like took a bunch of moms and like added up the time and saw when people cycle came back. But 
I don't of all the things that one might be like one of the easier things to figure out. But Mm -hmm. again, it's like how like that's a more measurable thing. But you know, everybody's body is so different. It's so hard to, to say. So I would say I don't think anybody needs to be out there like adding up exactly how many minutes they're nursing their baby, but just maybe think, um, you know, reflect on your, your nursing journey with your baby and think, you know, okay, do they really need that feeding before and after lunch? Do they maybe just need the one before lunch or maybe we cut the evening feeding or, you know, you probably have much better advice on, on which feeds to cut first there, but there's probably where you could stretch you know, a little bit longer to see mm-hmm. if that helps that cycle, that cycle return. Great. Do they have recommendations on how long the waiting period should be after giving birth before attempting to conceive again? Usually the general recommendation is give your body a year is the general recommendation. Um, I think by ACOG, it's at least a year to 18 months, um, I believe is what their latest recommendation was. Many people have had babies sooner than that and been just fine, but we know that our body does take a healing journey and um, not only through the actual birth itself, but also nutritionally when you are carrying a baby for nine months and then you're breastfeeding for another year on top of that, you're depleted. You're depleted. I actually did some testing on myself um, postpartum right before I finished up nursing my youngest, who's now 17 months old. We stopped our journey at 13 months. Metabolomics is a huge nutritional panel and everything was like, <laughs> I know, <laughs> because, you know, well, first of all, it's yeah. my, he's my third. So like, right. there's yeah. not a lot of time to eat. I tell you, <laughs> I used to think those people who would say they forgot to eat were like psychos. And then I became one of those psychos mm. who's like, I forget to eat because I'm so busy. And so I found that like my body was like very nutritionally deficient. And so I would not want to go into another pregnancy knowing that my body was so depleted without taking, you know, the necessary measures to boost my nutrition, make sure I am getting my protein goal and making sure I'm getting my electrolytes and eating enough fiber and just taking care of myself, movement, lifestyle, lowering my stress, all of those things play a huge toll um, in all of our health. And so if you have the time, because I know some people don't necessarily, they want more kids and their clock is ticking, right? So if you have the time, though, it really is beneficial to really nurture yourself first before you jump back into another pregnancy. But you can do that while you're while you're nursing, too. Mm-hmm. And you should do that. And you you should. Have the but it, it's easy for us to say that when, when, as you know, when you have a baby, when you have multiple children, when are you going to find the time to move and to lower your stress levels? Because telling a parent with young children or a baby just don't be stressed. It's not very, very helpful unless you're teaching them ways to reduce their stress. And I know like my sister, I was three months old when my mom got pregnant with my sister. And I would always say to my mom, like, were you, in, first of all, were you insane? And second of all, like, how did you do it? And my mom would always say, you know, to be honest, that area of my life is kind of a fog. And now I wonder that you're saying this is I wonder if her brain was so foggy because she was so depleted nutritionally. You know, when you don't get enough nutrients, you get that foggy feeling in your brain. You don't get enough sleep. The same thing happens. 
She was physically depleted. She was mentally depleted. (laughs) Mine were first two or 20 months apart. And I can still relate with her um, because my husband was deployed and we lived in Japan. And like, I feel so bad to this day because I'm like, I don't remember a lot of when my daughter was little and she's now poor middle child. So that'll be the rest of her life. But it's like, you know, it all plays such a role. And, you know, so I think that if that's what you know, not here to tell you what to do. So if you're like, no, I want to get pregnant, you know, six months postpartum or whatever you want to do, my best advice to you would be just prepare your body, take the steps to prepare your body for conception again, because you're not who you were before the first one. And what did you say that nutritional panel that you had was called? Uh, So I did the metabolomics. Yeah. And is that something that's easily accessible or... Uh, yeah, I do that testing for people. Oh, so okay. if that's something someone's interested in, yeah. we can do that. You could also, um, I also do like, we can do HTMA testing. So that's a hair analysis test. Um, so there's different ways to take a look at the nutrient profile. Um, some are more like thorough than others. And so you can do that to get an idea. Or honestly, you could just really focus on like the, the foundations mm-hmm. um, and really get yourself in a place where you can learn all of the foundations of how to eat a well-balanced diet, um, how to incorporate it into your lifestyle because your life is so different now. I promise you, it is sometimes really hard to, and it feels really hard to eat healthy when you have a baby, but I promise you it's not impossible. It might feel impossible, but we just need to see how it needs to look for you because what works for one person doesn't work for another. Right. I love that. And I'm not a nutritionist or anything, but I do talk a lot about nutrition while breastfeeding with the families I work with. And most of them, it's like you said, they get up, they eat breakfast and then they blink and it's eight o'clock at night and the day is gone and they haven't eaten since then. Um, And they just didn't realize that they haven't eaten since then. I know you, um, you said you do like a lot of the testing. Is there specific nutrients that you find in general across the board that most of the people are lacking. I know there's research out there that you know, most postpartum parents are deficient in magnesium, for example. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that you that you see are quite common that if someone who doesn't want or can't do that testing could start to take with the assumption that, yeah, because you're postpartum, you're probably going to be nutritional uh, deficient in this, nutri- this nutrient. Yeah. yeah um, well, at a minimum, you should still be taking your prenatal vitamin. Um, or a postnatal vitamin. Um, definitely magnesium is always a good one to add on in the evening, helps lower stress. I usually recommend magnesium glycinate um, just because it's a good at lowering anxiety and helping sleep in the evening as well. So, you know, double whammy, total bonus there. And I just think, you know, well-rounded diet, focusing, you know, selenium is going to help support the thyroid um, postpartum, making sure you're getting in enough protein so that you even have enough energy to make um, at the cellular level and be able to perform and be able to do your day-to-day living. Cause I know I'm certain the majority of moms out there are not getting enough protein, um, should be aiming for 20 to 30 grams per meal, uh, trying to do your first, your first protein before you have your cup of coffee. Um, that's probably the hardest one for the majority of people because, having that cup of coffee first, not only messes with your gut, but it really messes with your hormones as well. And so if you are trying to conceive, that's a big one that I would um, recommend women 
try to aim for is getting in that protein before the first cup of coffee. Not saying you can't have the coffee. You can definitely have the coffee. Um, we need the coffee, <laughs> but you need the protein first. Um, and really just focusing on leafy greens in your diet, making sure your veggie count is there. So you're getting enough fiber and then you're going to be getting, you know, all of those great, um, fantastic vitamins that we need for our body through those as well. A lot of berries are really high in antioxidants. So any inflammation that may be left over from the birthing process or just the trauma of like not eating enough for a long time, those can boost the polyphenols, which gives us antioxidants and helps decrease the inflammation. And so that's really powerful thing that women can do. That's a lot. I don't want to throw too many things at you. They'll be all going to the grocery store, grabbing all the things. <laughs> you just made someone's grocery list for the week. <laughs> Does the age of the parent make a difference when it comes to fertility or being able to conceive while breastfeeding? It all depends. I don't think age is the magic thing for Mm -hmm. like, we act like at 35, your fertility is dead and you're never, it's never going to happen. Like, I feel like that's like the trend um, that we hear from like the traditional medical model, Mm -hmm. but it really depends on your health, how well you're taking care of yourself and where you stand on a health standpoint. And that AMH level does play a part in, in that, but it's not an end all be all. I think really what we can focus on is egg quality. So just because you are older, we know that because you're older, your egg quality does suffer as you age. We know that. But what we also know is that when we hone in on nutrition, adding in those antioxidants, um, being on some strategic supplementation for that, we know that we can improve the egg quality and also then therefore improve your chances of conception. Great. And I know that, you know, important to connect with someone like you to kind of help get things going. Absolutely. I definitely recommend work working with someone uh, because here's the thing is I can tell you all of this right now, but when you go to actually do it, it's hard. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's hard because there's so much out there. There's so much noise. And so working with someone one-on-one to help you reach your fertility goals and get you where you want to be and get you in the place where you have the optimal chance of conception is really invaluable because not only are you going to be in the best place to get pregnant, but then you're going to be in the best place when you're postnatal and when you're ready to breastfeed and when you're and so on and so forth for your whole future health, because I'm not going to just like tell you do this, 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 and this, I'm going to show you how to do it. So you're going to get all the tools in your toolkit so that you can use those tools for the rest of your life. You can use those tools to teach your kids how to care for themselves the rest of their life. It's a generational gift really that you can keep on giving to on and on and on really. I love that. (laughs) A lot of the families that I work with, they, they breastfeed and everything's going well. And then they get asked about birth control at their six week postpartum checkup. If a parent goes on hormonal birth control, um, contraceptives, and then decides, okay, I actually want to start trying to conceive again, and then comes off the contraceptive while they're breastfeeding, does that make it harder? The fact that they were on birth control make it harder for them to conceive again? Is it individual? It's very individual. There's not a lot of research on birth control either way. Unfortunately, we ought, we know we're starting to see that there are negative sides to birth control that aren't being relayed to the people taking them. 
we're not told the other alternative options as far as like fertility awareness method and things like that. We're just not taught that, um, nor do they really actually know how to teach it in the traditional medical model, unfortunately. But um, it's really individual based. Some people can have their hormones really thrown off. It can affect breastfeeding in general. It can lower your milk supply. But as far as like any surefire that it definitely messes with your fertility, we don't really know. Um, it can with for some people and it doesn't for others. You would be surprised how many women I hear tell me that they were asked right after they gave birth. Oh, yes, that is an issue in my area as well, where a lot of the people in a lot of the local hospitals will offer like the depot before the parent has even left the hospital um, after having their baby. And I don't know if it's the same in your area, but I I tend to see that it they do that with certain demographic. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they don't even tell the parent that this could tank your milk supply. If you're going, if we're injecting this into you before six weeks postpartum, we can't take it back out and it can dry up your milk supply. And some doctors are even like insistent that it doesn't, but we see out in the community that it does, in fact. And that, that is a huge, you hit on a huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> like, sorry. It's so, it's so ridiculous that there's no informed consent here because they not don't. Not only that, but you're making a, a decision that really that they act like doesn't affect your future and it does in such a vulnerable state you just had a baby like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel necessarily i didn't have any epidurals i mean had you asked me immediately after i might have said yes mm-hmm. <laughs> i was in a vulnerable state i was like no wonder women are the ones who give birth <laughs> I was like men could never do this well i mean um, where's the lie right <laughs> Right. right, Exactly. There is no lie, but it's like, you're in such an emotional state. You just went through so much. And, and to ask somebody that when they're not like, even in a headspace to answer that question is insanity to me. So also a pet peeve for me, but having said that, yeah, if I tell, if you learn anything today, don't make any decisions after you just gave birth, none, not about birth control, not about anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Give it some That's time. not the time. Get your some hormones sleep just first. took the most crazy yeah, sleep and your hormones just took the most crazy roller coaster ever. So and you're sleep yeah, deprived. Don't. Whatever. Yeah. A lot of the families that I work with who are most concerned about fertility while breastfeeding are families that use fertility treatments to get pregnant, like IVF, that sort of thing. And so they've used IVF or other fertility treatments to get pregnant with their current baby. And they are feeling pressured, like you said, to get pregnant again. Maybe they have another embryo they can use or whatnot. Maybe it's their age. And in my area, at least, they are always told, "You, we will not start fertility treatments until you wean. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Is that actually based in evidence research? Um, or is that something that's like a misconception that people get told all the time, is it really necessary to wean, to start fertility treatment, that sort of thing? My initial instinct is that it's likely based off of those statistics where those studies that support the possible risk for miscarriage that soon after while still breastfeeding, that would be my initial instinct. And of course that like, I hate to say this, but that will affect their success rate. So they're not willing to risk it. Mm-hmm. Especially for something that's going to cost the family yeah. a lot of time and, and money. 
Yeah. So they're protecting the families. I think they also sometimes tend to predict, protect their <laughs> success rates at times too. I've heard some really like, you know, they won't do it in women with a certain like BMI because the risk is low and, the, and so they don't want to do that. Um, so I think it's probably twofold, but, um, I think that sounds based in research in the sense that like, I don't think that I would want to, if I knew that there was an increased risk and I had like one egg left, I don't know that I would like take that risk. So I think that that's probably a sound decision. Um, however, again, if it's based that we know that the majority of it was based on like nutrition and depletion, even better reason to start working with somebody earlier to help make sure that your nutrition your lifestyle and all of that are on point so that when you are prepared to get into that, what would it be if it's an IVF um, cycle, then you'll be set to go and you'll know that you're in like the best place. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. And if in the end, if a family is really feeling pressure to get pregnant again soon, and that's the best decision, then they should be supported in their weaning plan as well. Yeah, I agree you know, having somebody that is like knowledgeable, like a lactation consultant to help them like come up with a plan of weaning and what's best for their baby, how much they can supplement with food or, or if they need to at that point formula and just, you know, if no guilt surrounding that, whatever is best for their family, Mm -hmm. if for your family, the best decision is to jump right back into another IVF cycle, then maybe that's what you need to plan for. And that's what is going to be best for not only your family, but maybe that baby in the time frame, so that you can, you know, create your best chance to give that baby a sibling or whatever your goals are. You know, I'm certain there probably feels some grief or guilt over that. Like, do I choose to have another baby right now? Or do I choose to continue nursing my child? Like that I can imagine is probably a emotion filled decision. And so I don't think, you know, they should feel guilty for that. If, if the drive to have another child is what they want, um, to maybe change that journey a little bit mm-hmm. to fit their their needs as a family. Yeah, and I hear that all the time from the families that I'm working with who are in the situation where they just feel so torn and pulled in those two directions between their desire to have another baby and their desire to provide breast milk for their current baby, you know, as long as possible. And a lot of the times, because you know, women who have to go through fertility treatments like IBS do you have a higher risk of having low milk supply? And so a lot of these parents that I've worked with have like worked their butts off to bring their supply up and get to a full supply or as high as, as much as they can. And then they're told, okay, after all this work that you've put into your breastfeeding relationship with your baby, you're not allowed to start trying for a second until you kind of, I don't want to say throw that away, but that's how, that's the words that have been used by the families when they talk to me. About that. But here's the thing is maybe, maybe something was, and this is what I see in my world every single day is that these people that are being told they need IVF haven't even had full in-depth workups to really investigate the root cause of their, usually it's unexplained infertility, which I think is actually unexplored infertility. Oh, I so like that. <laughs> if, yeah. If you experienced that situation and you felt like there were pieces missing or you felt like you got pushed towards IVF after like being told everything was normal and then push just push that way that you are a prime person that is, that instead of trying to make that decision do i stop nursing or do i jump and do i jump into the next IVF cycle that's the perfect person to take a step back 
have someone review your lab work that you had had done previously and see where there were gaps in the workup and then get those things um, evaluated to see if there's any underlying cause so that you can hopefully become pregnant naturally. I absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. I love that you said, yes, perfect. Perfect. Either way, it's going to be kind of hard to try to conceive while you're still nursing a child or a baby, or even just have young children. What can couples do to help navigate the emotional and psychological aspects of trying to conceive potentially while still breastfeeding? I really think community is huge. Um, Just having a community where, or just somebody who is going through that as well, or has gone through it so that you can bounce ideas off of that person. So you can just kind of talk things through because I know that when you're going through something like struggling to conceive or you really want another child, but you know, you're not getting your cycle back yet or things like that. It's really frustrating and it can be really lonely because you don't have anybody to talk about those things. Maybe you don't know what's going on in your body at all. And you're really confused because you don't maybe even understand why you don't get your period when you're breastfeeding. I'm sure there's many women who don't really understand even the science behind it. Um, and so I really would encourage them to find a community and I encourage them to get the knowledge that they need to empower that journey for them so that during the phases of trying to conceive while still breastfeeding, um, while starting to wean they can feel confident and clear on that journey rather than like going down every single rabbit hole mm-hmm. <laughs> that Google has to offer. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine it would be super helpful to have like someone like you in their corner who not only with your professional experience and knowledge, but your personal background too, and the experiences that you had, you get it right. Versus working with someone who may not get it, may understand the book knowledge behind what the family wants to do. But the emotional aspect, the psychological aspect, that can be huge to be working with someone who understands. Yeah, I mean, I do think that that brings a uniqueness to my business because I do get it. Like I, I've seen the, you know, the recommendations of wait at least a year. But can I, I've been on the other side of that. I'm waiting a year. Are you kidding me? Or the you have to have more losses before we'll work it up. I'm like, where are medical professionals telling people to lose more babies before we'll do anything about it? Like, I'm just, do you hear what you're saying to people? So like, unless you've been through it, you just don't get it. You don't get what you're asking people to do. And so I walk women through that and couples through that on a daily basis of, you know, okay, this didn't look great, but here's what we're going to do. And this, we're going to move in this direction to make it better. Whereas like they're going to the doctor and like, they're like, just keep trying. So, you know, to have a lot more tangible information from someone who's been there and guidance. And, you know, I don't even mean, I really don't mean to diss (laughs) traditional medicine so hard. Obviously I was trained in traditional medicine, but they just don't have time. They don't have, I mean, the way that the medical model is, they don't have time. They have 15 minutes. They can't teach you about all of the things that can help you improve their fertility. They didn't learn it. They didn't learn it in school. I've got like, like five minutes of nutrition. And I know doctor um, physicians get like five minutes of nutrition. Like Mm -hmm. there's not much. 
Um, so they don't, they don't really know. And there's so much new research coming out about the power that we have to heal ourselves. And it's no different for fertility journey. Like we have the power to heal ourselves. Love that. And you gave such good tips and tidbits um, while we were talking. And I'm so glad that you joined us. Where can families connect with you, sign up with you, get you part of their community as they go through this journey? Sure. Uh, Well, the best place to find me is on Instagram. I share lots of valuable content for women who are trying to conceive, whether it's, you know, um, your first time or your fifth time. Um, And that's at at Trisha, T-R-I-S-H-A, Z-Rung, Z-E-H-R-U-N-G. I also am about to release my self-paced program for women um, and couples who want to dive deeper and get all the information right at the tip of their fingers um, and be able to also be part of a community that is like-minded in learning how to empower themselves and optimize their fertility. And so we have a link for that that I have provided and we can you can use that link to sign up for the waitlist because I have a lot of big news coming on that later here in November. We know there's lots of shopping deals coming up. So um, keep an eye out for that. <laughs> you do one-on-one consults too? I do. I also do one-on-one. So if someone is looking to work one-on-one with me, just message me on uh, Instagram. I'm really responsive on there and we'll get you the application form. You can fill it out and we'll hop on a free call and we'll talk through all of it. So I'm always available for a free call that any issue you want to kind of talk through and we can figure out how we can work together um, to get a solution for you. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll put those links in the show notes so everybody can access them. And again, thank you so much for coming here and telling, talking to me about all of this. It's so important. And again, it's something that I think I knew enough of the basics where if parents were asking me, I was like, well, I think it's this, but I love that I have more specific information to give them. And someone I can point to, (laughs) to direct them to if they want more personalized support. So thank you so much. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.